How many of you, by show of hands, would say that you have ever received any kind of instruction from the Word of the Lord? Let me see your hand. Okay. And the rest of you? How many of you would agree, by show of hands, that the Word of God is still today a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path? Would you agree with that, by show of hands today? And the balcony too. Good, 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 good. How many of you would be willing to... Now, this is a setup question right here. How many of you would be willing to receive instruction this morning from the Word of the Lord? Let me see your hand. Really? Okay. You asked for it. Just remember that. Well, this morning we are going to study the concept of war. Okay? There will be a battle going on this afternoon in, the, in Houston, Texas. And we know about that. Uh, there may be some history students in the house today that you have studied famous wars. And I'm going to ask you, have you ever heard of the War of the Whiskers? No? Well, okay, that's a video game. That one doesn't count, okay? How about, this is a real one, the War of the Oaken Bucket. The War of the Oaken Bucket. It took place in Italy in 1325 between the rival city-states of Bologna and Modena. How about, here's another one. Uh, how about the War of Jenkins' Ear? Those of you who are war students, have you heard of that one? The War of Jenkins' Ear? Between Britain and Spain from 1739 to 1748. Uh, the reason it's called that is because British Captain Robert Jenkins had his ear severed in the process, and so that's the War of Jenkins' Ear. Well, why do I, why do I bring those up? Because um, at least two of those are actual wars that were fought between nations or cities that you can read about in, in history books. And we live in a world where there is war. And because we live in this world, because we live in this flesh, war is a fact of life even within the church. Did you know that? Hello? I'm sure you've heard the story of a man who was rescued from an island some years ago after being stranded there for five years on this um, remote desert island, he was finally rescued. A helicopter observed him or spotted him and picked him up, and, but they couldn't understand. His rescuers could not understand why they saw three huts or three structures right next to each other. So the rescue, rescuers were so amazed by how intentional these uh, structures were placed, right? So they asked the man, they says, what, what, are those build, what are those structures or those huts that you have there? He says, oh, well, the first one's my home, okay? Well, what's that one? Well, the second one, that's my church. Okay, well, then what's that one? Oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? Well, the story makes it clear to us that not only do we struggle to get along with others, sometimes we struggle to get along with ourselves, Amen. We can't even be stranded on an island without causing some kind of ruckus in the church with ourselves. And don't we all fight the same primal instinct, which is that basically we believe that whatever's going on, whatever the conflict is, whatever the problem is, it's somebody else's fault, right? And it honestly seems to be counterintuitive to us to look within ourselves and address the issues within us. Well, we find in the book of James that James does not mince words on this subject. In fact, he, he hits us straight on and he lays it out uh, pretty plain and simple. 
and he does what I would like to call this morning, he gets to the heart of the matter. He doesn't allow you to, to get comfortable in much of anything. Um, this week, Becky and I attended the funeral of her last remaining aunt. Some of you say aunt, aunt. There's none left on her mother's side, and this was out of eight children on her father's side. This uh, aunt, uh, Anna Marie, precious lady, I had the privilege of meeting her. She, she uh, baked the cakes for our wedding. Um, she was the only one who remained in the, in the eight children of Becky's dad's family. She was 96 years of age. In fact, I noticed that uh, we were talking about how long the others had lived. Someone lived 103 and 98 and 96. I said, Becky, you got a long way to go. She says, I'm too tired now to go much further. So, But we attended the funeral of Becky's last remaining aunt in Iowa. And it was interesting to me that while we were there, I had contact in one way or another, either a phone call or email or uh, was in conversation with two different church situations. Now, these are both in different states. None of them are in the state of Texas where it appears that there is a conflict amongst church staff. Do you know there can even be conflict in church staff? Can you imagine that? Josh, can you imagine that? <laughs> These were actually pretty serious and, uh, and disappointing to hear and in some cases painful to hear. Either the pastor and the associate pastor and the music pastor, you know, children's pastor, board members, lay leaders, some pretty intense conflict going on. Some of them were just telling me about it, and actually some were seeking my advice. But I, as interesting as that was to me, I found it even more interesting in light of those two encounters that I had that in my Bible reading this week, I found a question that not only would I like to pose to those church situations, but I know that I can't ask it of them until I ask it of myself. And guess what? I'm going to be bold enough to ask it and present the question to you today. It's the question that James presents to us in James chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Now, I need you to make a deal with me this morning. I want you to commit to me for the next few minutes, for the duration of this message, you are not going to deflect anything that I say onto somebody else. Okay? It's what I've had to do. It's what I'm asking you today. Raise your right hand right now. I promise I will not deflect anything the pastor says onto somebody else. I'm going to receive the word of the Lord for me today. Amen. There you go. Now, you said it in the witness of a bunch of other people, so that's it. I really do want you to be careful not to do I mean, don't we do that? Don't we hear How many times have you heard a message? Well, I wish she was here to hear that. Uh, I'm going to be sure she watches that online. She needs to see that. She needs to hear that. Or he sure, he sure needs to. We do that. We deflect it. Well, guess what? James isn't going after your brother, your sister, your spouse. He's going after you today. He says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? That's what he's asking. What's causing the quarrels and fights in your own life, in your children, in your home, with your spouse? 
you know, Becky and I have now reached the point in 42 and a half years of marriage, we don't have quarrels and fights anymore. We have intense fellowship is what we have. Don't look at me like that. We don't. As we read this passage this morning, I want you to commit with me. We're not going to put somebody else's name in there. I want you to fight every urge to deflect it. Because if we do that, we miss the point. James is not going to let you slide on this. In fact, the whole book of James, he tends to go right to the heart of the matter. And guess what? He identifies the heart of the matter. It's you and it's me. If you sat with me or sat with Pastor Josh in marriage counseling sessions, you would probably find it at times amusing to hear the response that they give to the questions that we ask. And any pastor who does marriage counseling knows, learns quickly if he doesn't know it, to let the man talk first because he's gonna, his answer will last about 20 seconds, okay? So the first question the pastor will typically ask is, okay, folks, nice to see you. Why are you here? Well, the man will say, well, she got mad. Said, Let's call the pastor. Here we are. And then you ask the woman the same question. Okay, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Ma'am, you tell me, why are you here? Well, her answer is much different than his because she can give you the specifics the specifics. She can tell you what she was wearing when they had the fight. Can I get an amen for the ladies? She can tell you what the kids were doing. She can tell you what Oprah was talking about. She can tell you everything about what was going on and why they're there. So then we get to the second question. So tell me, what is the problem? And as the pastor listens to both of them, you'll find that probably 99% of the time, they will each take the next 15 to 20 minutes and tell the pastor what the other person has done wrong. Hello. Well, he's done this and he's done that and he's done this and that many times over. Then I hear, and then she's done this and well, she's done that and she's done this and that many times over. And she says, well, he won't give me this. He says, she won't give me that. And we're off to a roaring start. And then comes the third question. Okay, got all that. So tell me, what have you done wrong in the marriage? What have you done wrong? And then the whole session gets turned around because we begin to do what James is telling all of us this morning that we need to do. Forget the other person for just a minute. Just, just forget about them. Tell me what you have done wrong or what you have failed at in the marriage. And you would be astonished at how many people cannot think of one thing that they have done wrong. No, 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 no. They can't think of And finally, if you push hard enough, he might confess to snoring too loud, okay? She might confess to smacking her gum too much. And that's about as far as it's, and then that's when we say, and Therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. Asking someone to examine themselves is a bigger issue than you might realize. And James, in our text this morning, is about to get to the heart of the matter and tell us the source of the problem 
for all of us, whether it's a marriage conflict or a roommate fight or a child-parent issue or an employer-employee fight, even the fight that can take place and happen between you and your most important relationship, the fight between you and God. He's going to say, he's going to tell you what the source is. James 4, chapter 4, verse 1, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Don't deflect, don't deflect, don't deflect. Remember, you promised you wouldn't deflect. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and, ooh, here's a strong word. You scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. And so you, you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Oh, my goodness. You can't get what you, what you want, and so you fight to get it. And he's not done. He says, and yet, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong and you want only what will give you pleasure. Well, there's two big things he gives us here. I'm going to ask you to look at with me for the next few minutes. And then we're going to have just a... I'm going to blow up a little bit of detail here. Think of these words again. You are jealous of what others have, but you, you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. You can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Well, let's be clear about it. James is saying, and the way he sets this here, he says the problem is not others. The problem is you. You can't put anybody else's name in there. You have to put your name in there. And James is saying there is something in you not being met. And I'm going to ask you, please don't just apply this to surface issues. This is not just, I want her red dress. This goes much deeper than that. There is some desire in you where you are not getting what you want. And so you have to start by asking yourself, what is it that I want that I'm not getting that I am willing to fight for? Be it sanctified or unsanctified. What is it that I want or that I feel that I need that I'm not getting that I'm willing to fight for? What is it that you are expecting? What is it that you want that would even cause James to throw in this idea that you would be willing to kill to get it? Wow. Sounds extreme to me. And James goes to the next statement. Drops somewhat of a bombshell. He not only asks what havoc are you willing to cause to get what you want or what fight are you willing to wager because you're not getting a desire met, but then he says you do not have because you do not ask God. Or let me give it to you another way. Am I trying to get something from somebody that I'm supposed to be getting from God? Hmm. That appears to be what he's saying. Don't deflect. Don't deflect. The context is, am I trying to get out of people what I should be praying to God about? Am I trying to gain significance? Am I trying to get power? Am I trying to get self-worth? And he says, you have not because you, 
You have not because you ask not. And James makes it clear to all of us, this is at the heart of your troubled relationships. This is what's at the core of all of it. There are some people who are messing up relationships because they've not even prayed to God at all. And God is trying to say to you, you can't get that which you think you need. You can't get that from them because you've got to get that from me, God says. I just want to give you a little announcement. Come back next week. We're going to have a happy message next week, okay? Let me pick this apart for just a minute. James starts very pointedly by saying the source of the problem is me. Say that with me. The source of the problem is people in the balcony couldn't even say it. Come on back and let me hear you. Thank you. Glad you're still with us there. Another way of saying this is this. Conflict reveals stuff in me. Say that. When I get in conflict with you, we're not talking about you. You're, you're really showing me stuff in me. So when you're in a conflict with someone else, you shouldn't really say, you know, that person bothers me. What you should say is, that person sanctifies me. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, that person sanctifies me. Come on. James says that we quarrel and fight because we're not getting what we want or what we feel like we need. Now, listen to me. Listen. There are both good and not so good needs within each of us. James tells us that coveting what another has or being jealous of what another person has, that's the unsanctified part. But there are also sanctified needs. I want you to follow me here because I'm going to just talk to you about Ephesians chapter 5. You know this. You don't have to go there, which speaks to the marriage issue. Paul says, husbands, you are to love your wives. And wives, you are to respect your husbands. No, I ain't using that S word today. I'm not using that submit word. Uh 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 uh. Not gonna use that today. Wives, you are to respect your husbands. Two very strong words love and respect. But notice the significance of how he assigns these words. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say it the other way around? He doesn't say, husbands, respect your wives. He doesn't say, wives, love your husbands. Why does Paul say it the way he does in Ephesians? Because he's indicating that he knows the needs inside each of us. If you are ever in a position to hear a marriage in turmoil and you drill down through all the emotions and all the events that they say got them to the point where they are and all the problems and the happenings, the circumstances that they can both cite to you, at the bottom of it all, here's what you will typically find. She's saying, he doesn't love me. He's saying, she doesn't respect me. Therefore, husbands, Understand this, everything you do and everything you say, she is interpreting through the love filter, okay? Wife, everything you do, everything you say, he is interpreting through the respect filter. Any action you take, whether it's getting money from the ATM without telling your spouse or whatever. She sees it as, he doesn't love me. He sees it as, she doesn't respect me. God is telling us through his word in Ephesians 5 that those are essential, fundamental needs 
that we all have respectively. But he's putting it on us to carry it out. The woman says, I have a need to be loved. The man says, and I have a need to be respected. And then James is telling us in our text that this is the core issue or the heart of the matter. We are fighting for the needs within us. In fact, according to what we've read from the text this morning, James takes it up several notches when he says, and we read it, there's a danger that people are willing to kill something in order to get whatever it is that they feel that they need or that they want. James 4, again, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. That's a pretty strong statement, don't you think? And I think it's possible, James includes in what he's saying here, the ultimate outcome, someone actually taking the life of someone. But I also think it's possible he's indicating that when you don't get what you want, when you don't get what you think you need, you would be willing to kill a marriage over it. Some would be willing to kill a ministry. Sila. Because I need this. I want this. Some would kill a marriage over it. Some would kill a ministry. Some would be willing to put a parent-child relationship to death in order to get what they want. In my planning and preparation to speak to you today, when I got to this point, there are lots of places I could take this, but the Lord is constraining me today. Here is the issue that James is confronting you and I with. We are willing to kill while blaming others, but never willing to truly examine ourselves. Willing to kill while blaming others, but never willing to truly examine ourselves. And he gives you, James gives you no excuse. He is not allowing you to minimize the conflict by saying things like, well, we, we just don't get along. That, that's it. We just don't see things eye to eye. Or we, we come from different backgrounds. And James says this. He's not letting you off the hook that easy, dear friend. He says, do not minimize it to a nationality. Don't minimize it to DNA. Don't minimize it to race. Don't minimize it to age differential. If you're in a conflict, James says, you are not allowed to minimize it, but you are allowed to look at your own heart and your own life and look deep within. That's what he gives you permission to do. But essentially, before I point a finger at you, I have to look within me and examine what's going on within me. Look what he says. He says, the conflict is because there is a war within you. There's something going on deep inside of you, and that's why this is happening. The war you think you're experiencing on the outside is due to a war that is taking place on the inside. Therefore, hear this please, the struggle is not between people, the struggle is within people. The struggle is not between people, the struggle is within people. And once you can put someone else's face on your struggle, James is saying this, 
you missed it. Once you put anyone else's face on it, he says, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. Listen to me. A person with no peace on the inside can never create peace on the outside. A person with no peace on the inside can never create peace on the outside. And haven't we all been in a situation, maybe even in a public place, where we were witness to a heated exchange between two people, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, parent, child, And whoever is perpetrating that exchange is graphically showing you what's going on on the inside of their life. James says there's something you want, sanctified or unsanctified, that you're not getting. Because you're not getting it, you're willing to cause a fight. I'm not getting respect. I'm not getting control. I'm not getting authority. I'm not getting reciprocation. What is it that you're not getting that you're blaming everyone else for without starting right here? That's what the Word of the Lord is challenging us with today. And He doesn't let you off the hook just like He doesn't let me off the hook. He lets us know conflict is a revelation of me. Conflict reveals me, first of all. He never once allows you to point your finger at the other person. Then... James has the audacity to connect this next prayer verse to the conflict. He says, you have not because you ask not. That's what he says. What is he saying to us? Well, let's put it out plain and simple. People who don't pray fight other people. People who don't pray will fight other people. Because they're trying to get from people what they can only get from God. That's why they fight other people. Why do you think, and I say this as openly, transparently, and vulnerably as I can today. Why do you think, church, that we as pastors are ever and always encouraging you, always, to live a devotional life? Why do you think we're talking about it all the time? To read the Word regularly. To start off the year with fasting and prayer as we did the last, this year and last year. And to develop that discipline. Why do you think we're always encouraging you to pray and to even be involved in the, in the prayer meeting? Whether it's the one here at, on Sunday evenings or, or a, another prayer group of some. Why do you think we do that? Because it's a nice churchy thing to say? It's a nice idea? Yes, it's a nice idea. But greater than that, in today's world, in 2017, with the issues that we face relationally today, relationships are harder today, it seems like, than they've ever been before. But in today's world, it is so important that we, that you, when we go to the Word of the Lord. We are people who will pray because it will make a difference, a dynamic difference in the life of the believer. Can I get any kind of amen to that today? In fact, I would say it this way. There is a direct correlation between the absence of a devotional life in a believer and their propensity to then put godlike expectations on people who have absolutely no hope of giving it to them. There's a direct correlation between you not living a devotional life 
So it's not just about getting everybody to be a nice person. Or No, 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 no. You need to live devotionally. You need the word of the Lord. You need to pray. There is a direct correlation between the absence of a devotional life in a believer and their propensity to put godlike expectations on people who have no hope of ever satisfying those expectations or satisfying the need. Yes, there is a need within you. But dear one, the satisfaction of that need is not capable of coming from your husband, from your wife, from your parent or your child, and it's certainly not going to come from your employer. It can only come from God and God alone. Does anybody believe I'm telling you the truth today? You're scaring me. You're so quiet. When you're not talking to him, when you're not crying out to him, then you are looking to others to make you feel important, to make you feel significant, to give you self-worth. And God is saying through the word of the Lord to us today in the book of James, you don't get those things through them. You only get that through me. God says what makes you important and significant is not what they say about you. What makes you important and significant and what gives you worth is that I died for you. I went to the cross for you. I give you new mercies every morning and I give you grace upon grace upon grace day after day after day. That's what gives you significance and worth. So if you want to fight and quarrel, fine. Then fight in prayer. That's where you fight. God's basically saying, come on, let's get it on between us. And let's do it this way, between you and I. Because if we can work it out this way, then guess what? Then you're then able to start working it out this way. That's how it works. You're trying to get from people what only God can give you. And when we don't let God meet our needs, then we try to put it on people to meet our needs. Single people, you're not off the hook here this morning either. You checked out, got on your phone, I saw you. Well, this was not for me. Yep. Let me tell you something. You need to hear this principle too. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Marriage is a wonderful thing. But there is no marriage, no man, ain't no woman, no childbearing or children that will ever meet the real deepest needs of your life. If you think getting a husband, if you think getting a wife or having 2.6 children will bring you significance and bring that which you long for and need so much in your life, then just wait till things go wrong. Just wait till that child rebels. Talk to a parent in this house today who's had a child rebel. Or just wait till that spouse walks out on you because there goes your significance with them out the door. If that's where you've tried to get it. That's not where you get it. You must understand what James is saying. Your significance, your worth, your value does not come from other people. It comes from God and God alone. And you have not because you asked not. Oh God, I, I want people to love me. He says, then let me love you first. God, I, I want to have authority. Then let me give you real authority through the Holy Spirit. Not because you bring home a paycheck. Not because you pay the bills. You have authority because you are a child of God. 
Let me take it one step further. You cannot fix what you cannot see. Say that with me. Help me, Lord Jesus. Back in chapter 1 of this book of James, which is not our text that we're looking at, but back in the beginning of the book, chapter 1, he says something so very, very powerful. And you know it. You know the principle. <clears throat> James 1, 23 says, For if you listen to the Word and you don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. So what James is referring to is this. The Word of God is like a mirror. And when you go to the Word of God, you see stuff about yourself that you will never see in any other place. And that is so important, church. James says the reason the Word of God is so important is because it is a mirror for you. It's where you go to check yourself out. You go and you look. Okay. Hmm. Uh, Becky was right. I do have some mustard on my face right there. Get that off. Yeah. Oh, wow, that, that, hair, that hair is out of place right there. No wonder Pris wants me to calm my hair down. Now I see it. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Wow, this is a mess. Or maybe you see Proverbs that says, I'm supposed to speak with truth and kindness. That's a mirror. Speak the truth with kindness. Or Ephesians says, speak the truth in, in love. So now I have to speak the truth with love and kindness. Well, that changes the plan for me. So when we start off by saying, this is going to sting just a little bit, okay? When we start off by saying, I just need to get this off my chest. It's probably an indication that we've not looked into the mirror to see that we're supposed to speak with truth and love. Becky had a co-worker that she worked with for some period of time. She was a fun gal, <clears throat> but she was one of these people who felt like her calling was to speak the truth. She forgot the love part, but she spoke the truth. She literally would say, and Becky loved her to pieces and looked beyond all this and has great admiration for her still to this day, but she would say, you know, your hair didn't look as good today, Becky, as it did yesterday. You're having a bad hair day today, aren't you? you know? She'd come right out and say that, or honey, that color, you need to not wear that color. That's, that, that doesn't work for you. One day I had stopped by, and as soon as I left, she said to Becky, he really has put on weight, hasn't he? <laughs> she didn't say it to my face. She said it to my wife. One day, I guess, somebody challenged her with um, the fact that she tended to just say all that. And, but, and here's what she had concluded in her mind, and she literally bought into this diet. She said, you know what? Yep, I say that. I put my head on my pillow at night knowing that I have spoken the truth. But she had obviously not looked into the mirror herself. She might have had a couple of hairs out of place. Nor had she looked into the mirror of the Word of God to see that it, when you speak the truth, it must be spoken with kindness and love. Well, at least I've been honest, we might say. I've been honest. And we walk away so self-righteously. 
Friends, let's just understand this. You don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. Can I get an amen to that? You don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. Hear me clearly. There are times when you do have to confront something. Yes, there are times when you have to. Matthew 18 not only makes that very clear to us, and it gives us the procedure to do so. But you know what Peter says in 1 Peter 4? He says, love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. So you don't have to swing at every pitch. You don't have to talk about everything that bothers you. There are times, many times in life, you simply have to have the maturity. And the truth is, this message is about calling all of us to a greater level of maturity in Christ. There are times you simply have the maturity to say, you know what? Yeah, I see that. But this is not worth a quarrel or a fight, and it's not even worth some intense fellowship. This is just me trying to get what I want. That's what this is. You cannot fix what you cannot see. Or you cannot fix what you will not see. And if you don't see it yourself, if you're not responsibly holding up the mirror of the Word of God, then essentially you are demonstrating a selfish behavior that looks like this. Something appears to be out of place. Conflict comes. You refuse to self-examine. You refuse to hold up God's mirror. So you are holding everyone else responsible for fixing it. Because you're not going to look at it honestly, and you're not going to fix it. Let me say it in plain Texas language. If you ain't reading the Word of God, you're being selfish. These kind of sermons win me so much popularity. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't do this. I hope you know that. Why do I say that so strongly? Because you are then expecting everyone else in your life to change what's wrong with you. When you won't look at, at yourself, you cannot fix what you will not see. And if you want to know what's going on inside of you, if you want to know why the turmoil, why there's a war going on inside of you, you want to know why you don't have peace, then read the Word of God. A.W. Tozer says it this way, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself, but a spiritual man or a godly woman is easy on others and hard on himself. I'll say that again in case you checked out for a second. If you post this, it's A.W. Tozer, it's not Dan Smith. A Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. A spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. Church, listen to me. When you don't spend time on the Word, then you put it on those closest to you, your marriage, your children, your parents, your pastors. You put it on them to show you that which you will not see in yourself, and this usually results in conflict. They have to hold up the mirror and say to you, this is what the issue is. For years now, I've had a little theory that runs through my head, and I'm closing here in a second. A little theory that runs through my head that looks like this. I, I don't remember hearing it from somebody else. I could have well heard it. I don't, I don't recall. It's just it works in my head. And that is this. So often I say, you know what? 
There's another way this could play out. There's another way this could play out. Or I might say there's more than one option here. This does not have to head down this volatile path. Doesn't have to do. There's another way this can play out. And let me just present some response scenarios to you. And I want you to tell me or you decide in your own mind which one sounds better. Husbands, let's say your wife comes to you and says, um, I really need to talk to you. Um, you spoke harshly to me, and, and she says, and it hurt, and I just need you to know. Well, to the man who's not looking in the mirror of the Word of God, he will probably respond with something like this. He might say, oh, and you've never spoken that way to me? Well, I was harsh to you because of what you said, because of what you did. Well, they might say, you just took it wrong. You shouldn't be so sensitive. Can't you take a joke? Or it could play out this way. You know what? God convicted me. And I'm sorry for the way I spoke. Would you forgive me? Bethesda, which one of those sounds better to you? You know what happens to a marriage that functions like that? The wife feels protected. The wife feels loved. All because the husband went to the mirror and saw what was going on. And when you can be big enough to offer the apology, let me tell you what that means. Listen to me. Let me tell you what that means. It means you saw it in the mirror before she caught it. Now, I could turn it around and give an example for the wives, but I ain't stupid. I'm not going to do that this morning. When you're willing to be big enough to do that, it means you went to the Word, you saw it in the mirror, and you caught it before she did. It also means that you've identified that the battle is not in your spouse, the battle is in you. Let me just tell you a little thing about Becky and I, something that's not unusual in our relationship for Becky and I to let the other one off the hook. Here's what I mean by that. You know, it's very easy for one of us to come home and just be a little more quiet or, you know, stuff going on, whatever. And Becky might say to me, she goes, look, I, I just don't, I don't feel good today. Or I've, I've, I've had a rough day at work. I'm disappointed over something that happened or I'm discouraged over this. But then what we do to each other, it took us a while to learn this. We've been at it 42 and a half years. What we're doing to the other, we're letting the other one off the hook. In other words, if you're sensing an attitude in me or you're sensing a distance from me or you're sensing that I'm being withdrawn, I just want you to know the problem is not you. It's not you. I'm facing this or this or this. And Becky might say, you know, Dan, the problem is not you necessarily. <laughs> I mean, to some degree, I'm always the problem somehow. And I will do the same thing with her. I will say... You know what? <laughs> the bag is full. I've had an extremely stressful situation, but I want you to know I'm sure glad that you're here right now. And whatever you're feeling from me, whatever vibe you think I'm putting out, whatever distance seems to be, whatever it is. And can I just tell you that it's just like a bomb on a relationship, on a marriage. The problem's not you. It's not you. 
The problem is the war that's going on within me. And there is strength in a relationship where two parties are willing to allow the mirror of the Word of God to correct them and to realign them. Here's what James says. You've been in a few fights recently? Then deal with you because the heart of the matter is you. And before you launch a barrage of words, before you send a scathing text, before you put a ridiculous post on Facebook, hello, check out yourself first. What am I not getting that I want, that I need to get from God and not from somebody else? Because I can't fix what I cannot or will not see. And I want to allow the Word of God to be the mirror that shows me what I truly need to be. Would you bow your heads for just a moment, please? Lord, that wasn't easy. But I stand here today speaking presumptuously possibly, but on behalf of this fellowship, as we are before your throne. Let us come to value your word in greater ways than we ever have before. Let us not be so familiar with even passages or verses that they slide over us. And Lord, Remind us of the importance of keeping ourselves in your holy word regularly. And then to come before you. The truth is, Lord, every one of us have been affected by this word in some way or another. But I thank you for your holy word today. And I thank you for the boldness of James to give this to us. To still be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and that two-edged sword that sometimes cuts. I thank you, Lord, for that. Because all it does is draw us closer to you. And so, Lord, I guess what we're saying today above everything else, we need you like never before we need you. So we ask that you will give us grace as we sang today. Oh, grace. Oh, I need it. I receive it. It's your grace. And so I bless you for that today.